If you'll take your Bibles this morning and join me in the book of Genesis, chapter number 40, please. The 40th chapter in the book of Genesis is where uh, we'll be together today. And of course, we're uh, continuing our journey through the life of uh, Joseph, uh, a uh, very, very uh, good example for us to consider in our own lives. Uh, Joseph, and uh, we're going to begin looking, if we can, together in verse number 1. And we'll read down through a portion of this chapter, and then we'll skip down towards the very end of the chapter and uh, just try to touch on a few things as we work together through this this morning. Thank you so much for being here on this holiday weekend. It is Labor Day weekend, sort of the uh, unofficial, I guess, end of the summer, as it were. And I know we've got folks uh, perhaps traveling in other places, but I'm so glad that you're here. This is a wonderful uh, Sunday morning crowd here on this holiday weekend. And again, thank you so much for your faithfulness to the Lord's house. The Bible says in Genesis chapter number 40 and verse number 1, And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and he served them and they continued a season in ward. They dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream. And there was no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. The chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. Notice very carefully verses 14 and 15. But think on me when it shall be well with thee. And show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. And make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. I personally believe that this was a moment in which Joseph thought, Aha, this is what God is doing. This is how I get out of this mess. I want you to notice how it ends. Skip down with me to verse number 20. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Skip down to verse 23. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. I want to preach to you a message this morning that I've entitled, See God in Everything. See God in in everything. Several years ago, I was a little 
astounded to discover that my, my son, who at this time was probably six years old, maybe seven years old, but that my son was a, was a fan of a man that probably most of you would be familiar with. His name is Bob Ross. Bob Ross was the painter on PBS, the one that sort of had the hair that stuck out quite a bit. And, and, and Bob Ross had a way of, you know, just holding the little thing in his hand there and he would mix the paints together and he would go to the canvas and he would begin to, he would begin to draw. And one day I came into the room and my son, my son, my seven-year-old son was watching Bob Ross on the television screen. I said, what are you doing? And he said, dad, I'm watching Bob Ross. I mean, like, <laughs> hello, doesn't everybody watch Bob Ross? And, and, uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm sitting here, well, how, how do you even know who he is? And dad, dad, everybody knows who Bob Ross is, you know. And, and, uh, and so I sat down with him. I thought, well, I'm going to watch, we're going to watch this together. And you know what stood out to me as I watched him or any, really any other painter that, that, that takes a blank canvas and turns it into something? I watched them as they're painting. And I have to tell you, for about the first 15 or 20 minutes, I have no idea what they're doing. No idea whatsoever. I mean, they're mixing paints together and they're putting lines here and there and they're brushing this and that onto the, onto the, the canvas. And, and, uh, and I mean, it is a complete and total mystery to the vast majority of us what it is that they're, that they're, that they're making. In fact, in fact, many times they'll even say, here's what I'm going to paint. I'm going to paint a beautiful lake scene and we're going to put a little cabin over here and we're going to put some mountains in the background and, and, uh, and we're going to have a little waterfall over here. And I mean, they're telling us what they're doing and it's still not making any sense whatsoever have you ever been there before you know what i'm talking about i mean it's just to us to the untrained eye to the guy that doesn't know what he should be looking for and he doesn't know what he's doing it sort of just looks like a giant mess as you're as you're watching him but at some point at some point as he's putting the finishing touches on the painting as it were it begins to it begins to come clear in our mind in our eye oh okay that's that's the mountain i didn't realize that was the mountain i thought that was the lake and oh that's the that's the cabin oh and so by mixing those colors together you you're able to transform that into this color and, and it begins right in front of our eyes we begin to see what is happening i don't suppose that i could maybe come up with a better illustration to help us understand how God works in our lives than perhaps watching someone like that as he paints the man who knows what he's doing and in his mind's eye he has an idea of where he's going and as he's showing the rest of us who've never painted who perhaps are not artists he's showing us how he does what he does in many respects that's exactly what God is doing in this chapter and in the life of Joseph. As we think about Joseph's life, the first half of his life is heartache. It's problems, it's abandonment, it's slavery, it's false accusations against him. It's a period of years in prison. In fact, if you'll study Joseph's life, you'll discover that Joseph spends a total of 13 years in slavery to Potiphar and in prison. Not exactly sure how all of those years break down, how many years he was in slavery, how many years he was in prison. But, the, but, but Bible scholars believe from the age of 17 to the age of 30, Joseph is in either one of those two places. He's either a slave to Potiphar or he is a prisoner in Egypt. We hardly can conceive of a God who would allow such a thing, much less write that into the script of our lives. But what if I told you, what if I told you 
that God, listen, that God was in complete control of every moment of Joseph's life. That God knew exactly what he was doing and that God had a plan and that God had a design for it all. Yes, God was in the triumphs and victories of Joseph's life, but God was also in his heartaches and his loneliness too. God was there as a 17-year-old boy when Joseph was dreaming of greatness and dreaming of leadership and a brilliant future. But God was also there when Joseph was stripped of his coat and lowered into the pit. God was there when he was uh, prospering and trusted completely by Potiphar at the beginning of Genesis chapter number 39. God was also there when he was lied about and cast into prison by that same Potiphar who at one time trusted him completely. You see, God had an incredible plan for Joseph's life, one, one that as we come to Genesis chapter 40 remains still incomplete. Joseph's destiny, listen, it includes, it includes saving the world from starvation and death from a position of authority in Egypt. But listen, in order to get there, Joseph has to be sold by his brethren. He has to be carried down in Egypt He has to be sold again to Potiphar as a slave of Potiphar's. Listen, once again, he has no chance. He has no chance of ruling and reigning from a position of authority and leadership in Egypt. Therefore, he can't stay in Potiphar's house forever. Somehow, he's got to get out of Potiphar's house, and he's not walking out of there on his own power and by his own strength. And so what does God do? God uses this this temptation and Joseph refusing to yield to this temptation and Potiphar's wife lying about him and in his most, listen, his most difficult and challenging moments of all, God was at work in every situation, every circumstance. We know that because we're able to read the whole story and we know how the story ends. We know the story features Joseph at some point sitting in a position on a throne and ruling over a large, large group of people. But Joseph doesn't know that in Genesis chapter 40. And likely, likely, if you're in the valley, as the choir sang about a moment ago, likely you don't know how it ends either. So important in those moments to still be able to look for and to see God in everything. Joseph could not, he could not have known what God was doing in all of this. And I believe he even expresses some level of frustration in verses 14 and 15 when he says to the butler, listen, you're getting out of here in three days, but remember me, think on me, for I've been cast in this prison and I have done nothing wrong and I have no advocate to stand up for me. Joseph would eventually, he would eventually come to a point where he could piece all of this together, and he could recognize that in all of the difficulty he had endured, God meant it for good. Would you hold your place in Genesis 40 and go with me to Genesis 45? I want you to look at what Joseph says to his brothers when they're finally reunited after many, many years apart. He's revealed himself to them. I am Joseph. We'll we'll get there in our series together. I want to skip ahead just a little bit because I want you to see the realization that Joseph had come to. In verse number five, the Bible says, Now therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves. See, they were sort of beginning to beat themselves up over what they had done and how they had made Joseph's life miserable. And he says, don't be, don't be upset with yourselves. 
don't be angry that all of this has unfolded the way that he did. He said, that, he said don't be upset that she sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Now, Joseph's not there in Genesis 40 yet, but he's going to come to a point where he has this sort of this aha moment. Oh, that's what God was doing. Oh, there was a famine coming all along. And there were millions of people that were going to die. God had enough wisdom. Though it was a painful moment in my life, God had enough wisdom to remove me from my father's house. And he used, he used those brothers of mine that hated me and that were really evil to me. He used them in that particular moment. And then I came down to Egypt and I was sold to a man by the name of Potiphar. But, but no slave is ever going to rule over Egypt. And so somehow I had to get out of Potiphar's house. And God, can you believe it? God used Potiphar's wife, that wicked woman, and that lie that she told about me. Though it was really painful at the time, and though those years in jail were miserable, and I would, not, I would not want to relive those moments again, I can see what God was doing. God was using her, and God was using that lie to put me in prison. And then, and then while I was there one day, man, some prisoners came in, and God was using the trouble that they had in their lives, and God was connecting all of the dots to bring me to the point where, no, listen, you didn't, you didn't sell me. You, you didn't lie about, that wasn't what this was all about. No, God was using all of that to send me to a point where I could go before you and I could save the lives of millions of people. Joseph would eventually discover the following truths concerning his story. This story, Genesis 40 in particular, that is this. Number one, that God was in Pharaoh's prisoners being delivered to the place where Joseph was. Now we like to use a word Sometimes the word is coincidence. We, we might say it like this. You know, it just so happened that one day I was doing this or one day I was doing that. And I, I want us to try to remove that word from our vocabulary. Because there's no, listen, as a believer, there's no such thing as a coincidence. No, listen, God is sovereign and God is in control of every moment of our lives. Every person that, that you've met, God brought that person into your life for some reason. The fact that you're sitting in this room this morning is by God's divine design. Now listen, there's no such thing as coincidences when we're dealing with a sovereign God. I got to thinking about these prisoners and how in the very beginning of this chapter, they're some, for some reason, we don't know what it was, but they offended the, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Pharaoh says, you know what, I, I don't want to deal with you guys any longer. And so he has them cast into prison. Now, I don't know how many prisons were in Egypt during this, this time in which Joseph was alive. It was a long, long time ago, thousands of years ago. And so we don't know necessarily how many prisons there were. Maybe there were many scattered throughout the entire country. It is a large country. It is a world empire at this point in time. It's possible maybe there was just one prison where everybody was kept. But think about this. Think about the fact that these two men who have direct access to Pharaoh are placed in the very ward, or that we might say the very cell, where Joseph is staying at that point in time. Now that's a big country. Maybe lots of prisons. Maybe a lot of prisoners. But don't, don't lose sight of this. God was in the fact that those two men were put in Joseph's exact ward on that particular day. God was in all of that. 
And we have to see that God is in everything. Not only do we discover that God was in Pharaoh's prisoners being delivered to the place where Joseph was, but I would say, number two, that we have to see that God was in the dreams that Pharaoh's prisoners dreamed while they were in Joseph's ward. God was in all of it. In verses 5 to 11, we discover, in verses 16 and 17, we discover these men and the dreams that they dreamed. They dreamed significant dreams that required interpretation. That word interpretation literally means to be opened up. You know, most of us, when we have a dream, we wake up the next morning, and most of us, maybe the dream was a big one, it was a significant one, but we don't walk away from it saying, I wonder what that means. We're beyond that for the most part. God doesn't, God doesn't really reveal himself to us in dreams anymore. Why would he do that when he's already revealed himself to us in this book? <laughs> There's no reason. There's no reason for God to reveal himself to you in dreams. But in this day and age, a dream was extremely significant. And these guys woke up on this particular morning having, having dreams, some, some dreams. And the Bible says that they were, they were troubled by what they had dreamed. Joseph was not unfamiliar with significant dreams. As he had dreamt some on his own. But more importantly, here's the most important thing, that Joseph was not unfamiliar with the God of heaven who has the ability to interpret significant dreams. Think about this. In the, in the whole area where, where these men were, there's probably one person, there's probably one person within hundreds of miles who actually knows Jehovah God. His name is Joseph. And God waits, God waits until these men are in, are in Joseph's ward for them to dream these significant dreams. Because listen, have they dreamt these dreams any other time? There's no one else around who knows Jehovah God of heaven, who has the ability, the only one who has the ability is God, to interpret or to open up these significant dreams. And so God, listen, God waits until Joseph and these two men are together to give these men these significant dreams. God's in this. We don't know how long these men were here, but we know from reading the entire story that their, that their presence, again, would be what God would use to connect Joseph with the Pharaoh someday. Notice thirdly, I want to say this, that God was even, I believe this with all of my heart, God was in the forgetfulness of Pharaoh's butler. In verse number 23 of chapter number 40, it, it's, sort of, it's sort of sad, to be honest with you. I've read this verse many times, and I've thought, boy, this is a bummer. Well, how unfortunate is this? I mean, I mean he comes out of prison just three days prior, he had dreamed this significant dream, and Joseph had asked him, listen, when you get out of here, would you say something to the butler? I've not done anything, or to the Pharaoh, I've not done anything to deserve being in here. And yet, what does he do? He doesn't remember Joseph, but he forgets about it. And I've read that, and I thought, what a disappointment. But you know, as I read that again this week, I thought to myself, no, no, wait a minute, God's in that. God's in that too. You see, had the butler remembered Joseph and mentioned to Pharaoh, there's little likelihood it would have done much good. Those in positions of authority are not usually in a hurry to liberate prisoners they don't know. I got to thinking, you know, jo Joseph's story of innocence would have sounded like every other prisoner has ever lived. Because there's very few men in prison who will tell you, and there's some, but there's very few who'll tell you, yeah, I, I, I did what they accused me of. My great uncle worked in a 
prison outside of Lyme, out of Lyme, Ohio, years ago, and we'd get together with him. And his fav- his famous line was this: You know, he worked in the prison, and he he would say this. He'd say, "Yeah, they're all innocent. <laughs> they're all none of none of them none, none of them did it. They're all innocent." And that was the line that they would tell. Not, but I didn't do that. I'm innocent. I was framed. I was this or I was that. And so I'm thinking to myself, here comes this butler out of prison and he, he has an audience with the Pharaoh. And one of the first things he does, he says, hey, Pharaoh, let me tell you about this guy I met in prison. His name is Joseph. And he's really not from around here. He's from Canaan and he's been accused of doing something. And, 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 you know, but he really didn't do it. And I'm thinking to myself, like the Pharaoh's going to say, oh yeah, okay, let's let him out. <laughs> That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. No, at the, at the time that God appointed the butler would remember who Joseph was, and not a moment sooner. The butler would not remember Joseph until the exact moment that he would be needed. You see, another dream was going to be dreamed, two years removed from chapter number 40. And it was way more significant than the dream that the two men dreamed in Genesis chapter number 40. And at that point, it would reconnect, and the butler would say, now wait a minute, I met a man, who interpreted a dream for me and a friend of mine, and exactly as he interpreted is exactly how it all played out. See God in everything means we must see him in the disappointing delays as well as in the moments of great brilliance and great victory. As we read this chapter, it's tempting, to be frank, it's tempting to be a little discouraged for Joseph. It starts on a sour note. He's in prison. There's a little building cause for hope throughout this chapter. I mean, culminating in verses 14 and 15 when Joseph's saying, this is it. This is my escape route. When he gets out of here, it's only going to be three days. He's going to remember me. And yet it ends. It ends even worse than it began. Joseph is completely forgotten about. Understand this, church family. God was in all of it. Can I say that perhaps you're in a tough stretch of life? A tough season of life in which very little for you seems to be going in your favor. Can I encourage you to continue seeing God in everything? Perhaps we have to learn to see God in a, in a disappointing end to a relationship. We have to learn to see God in the betrayal of a friend or a family member or maybe a close church member. We have to learn to see God in the loss of a job or perhaps in the In the diagnosis of a difficult, terrible disease, we have to intentionally learn to see God in all of it. I say, number one, as we consider Joseph's story and what's happening in Genesis 40, I I feel compelled to remind you of, number one, that God can use anything for our good and for his glory. God can use anything for our good and for his glory. You see, Joseph was in prison for a crime he had not committed. He would be there for several long years. This could not have been a pleasant place for him to be. But if you know the story of Joseph, you know, you know, that unless he goes to prison, he will never meet these men. And unless he meets these men, he will never have a direct audience with the Pharaoh of Egypt. You see, God is using all of it. God uses the brief stay of these men in his exact prison cell And God uses that to bring Joseph to a point where he meets with the king and he's elevated to a position of leadership. And the lives of many are saved by Joseph's wisdom and by Joseph's diligence. Some of you might today be in a 
season of particular difficulty. Maybe the season has lasted longer than you think it should, and it, it's hurt more than you, than you thought it would, and you see no way out of it. And God has sent me here this morning to say this, be encouraged and be hopeful. You see, our God can and our God does use anything, anything for our good and for his glory. That's really the theme of scripture throughout. The Bible says in Genesis 50 and verse number 20, Joseph says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph says, listen, you, you did evil to me. You, you were thinking evil, but God turned your evil around and God transformed it into something good. We know Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 15 to 17. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Do you see that there? For, for your good, and it's for, it's for my glory. For which cause? We faint not. You see, some of you are in a moment right now which it feels like fainting. It'd be a whole lot easier just to quit, just to throw in the towel, just to give up. But he says, no, no, listen, I've got, I've got bigger things than me to think about. I've got to think about the glory of God. And through my life, thanksgiving to God being redounded to many. And he says, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction. That's interesting, isn't it? Our light affliction doesn't feel very light, does it? Feels pretty significant. But he uses that term. By the way, there's not a person in this room. There's not a person in this room who's endured more than what Paul has endured. And so when he uses that term, we need to acknowledge what he's saying here. For our light affliction, notice, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. It's for a moment, it's for a season, it's for a period of time. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So we must recognize that God can use anything for our good and for his glory. But notice, secondly, we must also acknowledge as we consider Joseph's story, the second truth, and that is this, that God knows right where I am. God knows exactly where you are this morning. He knows exactly what you're dealing with this morning. In verse number three, chapter number 40, the Bible says that he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the garden, the prison, the place, the place. This is not an accident. This is not a mistake. This is not a coincidence. No, no, no. God knew exactly where Joseph was. I'm sure, I'm sure there were moments in which Joseph felt like nobody knows and nobody cares. You know, I got to thinking that, you know, Joseph's family had no idea where Joseph was. And to be, and to be very honest, had, had they known, they probably would have celebrated the fact because they hated him. Oh, he's in prison? Serves him right. Good luck, good luck ever reigning over us and us ever bowing down to you with, with uh, you know, prison shackles on. I mean, that would have been their attitude, that would have been their spirit. Potiphar, Potiphar didn't care that he was in prison. In fact, Potiphar was operating under the assumption that Joseph had tried to initiate an affair with his wife. That's why he was there. Potiphar had no interest in ever seeing Joseph again. He had no advocate. 
that cared for him. In fact, the truth of the matter is, unless God intervenes, unless God knows where Joseph is and God does something, chances are Joseph will spend the rest of his life in this place. He has no one to defend his innocence. He has no hope himself, in himself, or in others of ever going or being set free. But listen, God knew right where he was. God knew the place where Joseph was, and God brought some very special prisoners to his very cell who would one day be critical to his release. I believe Joseph recognized this for what it was. I believe I pointed that out as we were reading verses 14 and 15. I think that Joseph began to connect the dots. I know why you're here. You're not here because you offended the Pharaoh. You're not here because you, you, you messed up. No, 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 you, you're, you're here. God sent you here. I don't think he came out and said it, but I think those were the thoughts that he was harboring in his mind. And that's why he said, hey, listen, by the way, you're getting out of here in three days. Don't forget about me. I, I, know, I know why you're here. Oh, I know what's going on here. Don't forget about me. You, you mentioned me to the Pharaoh and you let him know I've not done anything that, I've, that is worth being, uh, being put in this prison for. I'm really not from around here, and, and, and all of this is against me. You let the Pharaoh know, oh, I believe that Joseph could see this for what it was, that this was the hand of God at work in his life. He was connecting the dots, and he had to have thought, this is it. God had brought these men to him as an act of mercy, and this would be his way out. Well, he would, he would be partly right. It was what God was doing, but his timing would be off. Instead of spending another couple of days in this horrible prison cell, he'd spend another two years in this prison cell before he would eventually be released. The butler would eventually bring his plight up to Pharaoh and the king of Egypt would gladly set him free. Again, it would be two years before all of this would transpire. Though things did not go the way that Joseph had hoped or anticipated, I do believe that this, this produced a spark of encouragement in Joseph to help him to be reminded, wait a minute, I'm not alone. I've not gotten any letters from my family. Certainly not going to hear from Potiphar anytime soon. No one knows that I'm here. No one cares that I'm here. But wait a minute, God sees, God knows. I want to remind you today that God knows where you are too. There is no place you can go that he is not aware. This is the theme of scripture, Psalm 139 and verse number seven, whither? Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? That is, that's a rhetorical question. That's a question which there is no, there's no answer to it. You can't go anywhere and get away from God's spirit and God's presence. Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24 says, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, do not I fill heaven and earth? Saith the Lord. I love Jonah, the story of Jonah, but Jonah rose up, chapter number one, verse number three, to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof. What was he doing? He's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But what happened? God followed him into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And God sent an incredible storm. And then God sent a whale to swallow him Listen, there is no place that you can go that God does not see. God knows your address. Some of you are sitting here saying, I, does God even know where I'm at? 
Does he even know what's happening in my life? And you mark it down, God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly what's happening. Even if the rest of the world has forgotten about you, God knows, God sees, and God cares. By the way, God not, not only knows where you are, but he knows how to encourage you in that place. And he can deliver you from that place according to his will and according to his plan. Number three, I, I want to I point this out. I, I think this is important. The third thing that I think we learn from Joseph's time in this prison with these men is, is this thought, and that is this. Not only, not only can God use anything for my good and for his glory, and God knows right where you are, but let me also say this. We need to be reminded that life is bigger than me. Life is bigger than me. You know, if we're not careful, we, we, it's easy for us to get sort of self-absorbed and, and, and to think just, just about me and to, and to lose sight of the fact that, no, there's more people in this world than me, and God is doing things in the lives of people that I may, may not be aware of. Look in verse number six. The Bible says, And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. Now, I just have to, I just have to interject something here. I would think everybody looks sad in prison, wouldn't you? <laughs> especially in an Egyptian prison. You know, I mean, 2,500, 3,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago. I mean, we're talking a long time ago. And I just have to think, you know, we're all sort of just kind of walking around, moping around a little bit, wouldn't you think? But he walked in that day, and he looked at these two men, and the Bible says that they were sad. And it stood out to him. A lot of times when you see someone that looks sad and that looks miserable, you have a choice to make. The choice is this. Do I, do I really want to jump into the middle of this thing? <laughs> do I really want to stick my nose into something that it may not belong? I might be biting off just a little bit more than I can chew. You know, in some respects, that's sort of a selfish thought, isn't it? Because we understand if I ask this person what's wrong, I might get a whole lot more than I bargained for. I might, have to, I might even have to find myself in a position of maybe even trying to lend some help and some assistance. But notice what Joseph does. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward, wherefore look ye sadly today? Now, here's the question. Had God brought these men to Joseph to help him, yes or no? And I think the answer is unequivocally yes. I think, I think that whatever that offense was is really not that big of a deal. What God was doing in putting these men in prison had nothing to do with the offense and had everything to do with getting Joseph out. So God had brought these men, these two men, into this very cell where Joseph was, and it was, it was, it was to help Joseph. That seems pretty clear to me that that's what God's doing. But Joseph was not so self-absorbed as to think that this was all about him. He might have been discouraged and sad about his present condition, but that did not allow him, it did not keep him from taking note of sadness and difficulties of others. You see, many times I, I know I do this, I wallow in my own self-pity and, and, I, and I sort of want everybody to sort of look out for me and I want to lose sight of what's happening in everybody else's life. But Joseph wasn't that way. Joseph shows no evidence of such a spirit. He refused to make things all about him by losing sight of the needs of others around him. And when these guys woke up and they appeared to be sad and confused, Joseph inquired about it. And when they told him why they were sad, he offered to try to help them. Now, here's the question. Who needed more help here? These guys or Joseph? These guys were likely Egyptian. They probably had family who knew they were in prison. 
Maybe they even had visitors every once in a while. No, no, Joseph, of, of everyone that was probably in prison at that point in time, Joseph was the one who needed the most help. And yet here was the one who needed the most help, looking out for others and trying to figure out, hey, what can I do for you? And I wonder, I just wonder if it might change our perspective a little bit. For some of you that are in deep, deep trials this morning, in deep difficulty, if you said, if you, said you know what, this week I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna get my eyes off of me. And I'm gonna begin to look around. I'm gonna look for people who are sad. I'm gonna look for people who are confused. I'm gonna look for people who are lonely. Though I'm sad, though I'm confused, though I'm lonely, I'm gonna take my eyes off of myself for a few moments and I'm gonna look and see if I can help someone else. Because listen, life is bigger than me. And God is wanting perhaps to use me in a way to be an encouragement to everyone we're going to see God in everything, then it will transform the way that we see others. You see, Joseph's kindness to these men would come back to bless him one day. Had Joseph been distant and aloof, you ever thought about this? Had Joseph just said, you know what, I'm not gonna, we're all sad. Of course they're sad. Everybody's sad in prison. I'm not gonna inquire about this. And these guys would have never gotten their dream opened up and interpreted. And they would have never known, hold on a minute, there's a, there's a young man who is, laboring in a dungeon prison cell somewhere. And when the Pharaoh has his dream, the chief butler is reminded, wait a minute, I know a guy. I know a guy. We wouldn't have known a guy if Joseph would have said, no, this is all about me. And this is all about me getting to where I need to get. And I'm not really interested in the plights and the needs and the difficulties of others. I say finally, lastly, number four, God has a plan for my life. God had a special plan for Joseph's life that included him eventually ascending to second in command of all of Egypt. In this position, he would be used to save many lives. However, in order to get there, Joseph had to endure some difficulty. Could not have known this much at this point. God had put a dream into his heart that at some point he would lead others, including his own family, and there had to have been moments in which this was all he had to cling to during his times of difficulty. And so as you're laboring today, and some of you are, I want to say, what, what do I hold on to? What hope do I hold on to? Hold on to this hope. That God has a special plan for your life. That God is in complete control. This delay seemed like the worst possible thing at this moment, but in reality, it was for Joseph's eventual best. I got to thinking, you know, maybe what if the Pharaoh would have heard about him and would have released him? He probably would have been forced back into slavery because that's really what he was. But by being released two years later, he was given an opportunity to never go back to slavery again, but instead to lead others and to create a life that he could have only dreamed of and that he had dreamed of prior. See, God's knowledge and God's wisdom is always ahead of where we find ourselves at any given moment. You see, God's always in our future, and we need to remember that. You see, some of you are sitting here and you're saying, you know, if I were God, I would have done this by now. And I just want to say this. I just want to say, aren't you glad you're not God? <laughs> I know I am. I'm glad I'm not God. Because I would, have maybe, I would have maybe fixed some things in the moment that God said, I'm going to fix, but I'm not going to fix them on your timeline. And by the way, I'm going to fix them better than you ever can. And I'm going to fix them to the point where when you come out of it, you're, a, you're, further, you're further ahead than you ever would have been had you fixed it on your own. Or had I fixed it according to your plan? 
No, God is always in the future. Say, what, what can I do in this moment in which I'm, I'm just, the weight of the world is pressing on me? Remember this. Remember that God has a plan for your life. Sometimes that plan includes some divine delays and disappointments that are crushing in the moment as this butler forgetting Joseph must have been overwhelming to him. But understand, God is at work. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end.